Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you So there's a couple of things that I want to get into today before I get into the message. First, welcome everyone. Um, it's good to see your faces. Um, I definitely, um, man, I'm looking forward to this upcoming weekend that we have. If you've never experienced Watoto, I want to encourage you to experience Watoto. Um, these kids are a blessing. Um, you know, whenever you add children into the mix, it just does something. It, it brings this excitement. This room gets filled with children, and this whole stage transforms. You should see this. When you pull up on Saturday, there's going to be a massive Watoto bus, and, and they've come, and they've transformed this stage, and the kids start speaking into our lives, and then they start to dance and sing, and you see this authentic worship, genuine worship from these kids, and you hear their story. Um, Man, when you get a bunch of children to worship the Lord like that, it really does something in the atmosphere. I, I want to encourage you to come on Saturday. It's at 6 p.m. on Saturday. Um, they're going to be here early and setting up. We're going to provide lunch for them on Saturday. I mean, you're more than welcome to come and hang out with them at 3.30. I believe. I have to just confirm, but I'm almost 100% sure at 3.30. We're going to have like a little time of prayer with them and just pray with them and have a little prayer service with the Watoto family. So you're more than welcome just to come over here and fellowship on Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening with us, but don't miss the kickoff at 6 p.m. I mean, you are going to be so, so blessed by these kids. Watoto rocks, man. So I'm just looking forward to having Watoto with us. Um, um, Well, you'll see when you get here. You'll be like, okay, you weren't exaggerating. They're really good. So with that, uh, there's also two more things that I wanted to go ahead and mention to you, and that is that this upcoming Friday, we don't have youth, but I want to give praise to the Lord, because this last Friday, we had our first youth gathering, and um, they had a lovely time. We're we're, we're so encouraged to see what God is going to do in the lives of, of those that are leading, and even in the lives of the youth that are here as it grows. And as they grow together, so, so keep that in prayer, Nest Youth. They're going to be coming back together, uh, not this upcoming Friday, but next Friday again. So just keep that in prayer. Next week, you're going to hear a little bit about um, Nest Youth and stuff like that. Uh, also, next week, if you could write this down, it's not a good Sunday to miss. Uh, next Sunday is going to be an awesome uh, Sunday. We're going to be doing something called the Nest Rally. And we're really going to showcase our teams. Like we have a lot of areas here that we want to just pause and just pour into them and thank them for their service. Last Sunday, you heard me share about the kids uh, that we have a group of teachers like right now that are back there. I'm really liking just kind of like getting away from the podium and just being up here with you all. So just bear with me as I'm trying to figure that out. I, li- I, like, I feel like I'm closer to you guys, but then I know it's going on YouTube and stuff. So I, have to, I can't get down there. If it was up to me, I'd be walking around the, and just sitting next to you and talking to you while we're sharing the word of God. Anyways, I was saying, there's, uh, 
there's kids, uh, teachers back there, and we just want to, uh, we applaud them and love on them and just show them how thankful we are for them. So next Sunday in our next rally, we're going to pour into all of our teams. We're going to speak into the importance of serving. Maybe you know someone that needs to get plugged into church. This is a great Sunday, sorry, next rally Sunday to bring them and also to also pray and say, hey, what, how, in what capacity can I even serve here? So that's going to be next Sunday. One of my pastors is going to be up here, and he's going to share the importance of service, of why we should serve, the importance of the church. I think it's going to be a phenomenal message and just a a rejoicing good time um, together. So don't miss next Sunday. Get here um, on time, and let's be ready just to to have a good Sunday together. And uh, pretty much that's it. That's all I have to say. Amen. Can you stand with me one more time? Just stand with me one more time. I have a lot more things to say when it comes to the Word of God, uh, but not necessarily um, in announcements. Let's come before the presence of the Lord, and um, I want you to pray that God could speak today so beautifully, so clearly, that He would speak to our hearts, to our minds, that He would bring beautiful growth and encouragement. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank You. Lord, we love you and we honor you, Lord, in this place. You're such a good God. You're such a good God. Hallelujah. Lord, you're faithful and you're present even in the time of trouble. You're present even in the time of pain. In this room, I know there's people that have pain in their heart. I don't want a Sunday to pass and pretend like we don't see it and we don't know it. But, Lord, we thank you because you know every detail. And you love them. And you hold them. I pray, Lord, that your word today would just be medicine. I pray that your word today would be so encouraging. I pray that your word would lift us up. Sometimes we come to hear your word, and there's so many distractions in our minds. I pray that you would remove all distractions, all thoughts of weariness, all thoughts, Lord God, that remove us from focusing on you, that you would be our focus, and that your seed, your word, would land on fertile, on good soil. We give you all the glory. We pray for our kids who are back there being taught that they would feel the move of the Holy Spirit, that they would hear the word of God, and that they too would have a beautiful, powerful time in your presence. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And together we say, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you guys so much. Amen. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Go ahead and write this down. I don't know if you guys know this or if you're taking tally marks or if you take notes every Sunday. I do. I take notes every Sunday. I'll prove it to you. Look. Every Sunday, I take notes for you guys. I take notes. So if I take notes every Sunday, I want you guys to take notes every Sunday. Amen? Maybe God speaks something to you. Maybe you could write it down. But uh, I can't can't tell you something that I myself don't live it, right? So I'm going to take notes every Sunday. Take notes every Sunday with me. But this is our fifth installment or part five of this series that just happened genuinely called You're In Season. If you remember week one, like a month ago, 
We spoke about, have you ever felt seasons in your life? And we talked about different seasons and what seasons are and, and how we looked at in the life of a Christian. We're always in season. In and out of season, we're ready, right? Because we're in God's season. We, we, we function differently. We walk and live differently. So this is part five of five amazing conversations we've had. Sometimes I leave here, I get in my car, and if you know me personally, one of the greatest things that I do is I get in my own head. Anyone else get in their own head in here? You just, you just get in your head, and you spend the whole hour in your head, and half the things that you got in your head about are not even true. So I go home, and I get in my head, and I'm like, oh, man, I, I hope the word was clear. Man, I hope they understood the message. I, 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 ho- I hope we could respond and react on this. So as we get into number five, I want you to write this down. The title of the message is this, The Great Gardener. That's the message title, The Great Gardener. Do you guys remember what uh, number one, week one was called? Anyone in here? You're in season. Debbie today gets five stars. You were second, you get three, you get three stickers, but you're in season. Do you remember what week two was? Let's see if anyone else knows. Thank God I take notes because I forgot. I'm going to be honest. I forgot them, but I take notes. So I, I remembered part two. What's part two? Yes, seize the day. Charlene gets two croquetas. To... One for her, one for the baby. Amen. Not for Adrian. Because agent just forgot. He doesn't even take notes. All right. Uh, part three, what was our third message on urine season? What did we say? Ah, oh, she was teaching the kids. <laughs> That's good. Oh, you forgot. There's potential in the seed. Amen? There's potential in a seed. That was uh, part three. Part four was? That was just last week. How's your soil? How's your soil? <laughs> All right. And this is part five. What's part five? All three of you that heard me introduce it. The great gardener. All right. Write that down. The great gardener. And um, let's just have a good time as we jump into our fifth conversation in urine season. I believe God is going to speak to us something beautiful, something encouraging, things that we know of already, but just repeat it to us, Lord, so that we could grow. Um, when, I, when I look at these series of messages, I can truly say that our heart has been uh, to push and encourage from God's word, to push and encourage from God's word for all of us to seize the moment that we are living in. This week, a couple of us, friends of ours, man, they, he's gone to be with the Lord. And I shared with some people and I said, you know, this is the moment. I saw James today, and I told James, I said, James, this is the moment. This right here is the moment. Because the next moment, we don't know if we have it, but this is the moment. And, and that's been the push and the encouragement with you're in season. It's to really take advantage of this moment. I'm, I'll be very honest with you guys, because if not, then what am I doing up here? There's been things like at home that I've had to have conversations about or things that I've had to do on my own because how can I share this word and not recognize the importance of making sure home is okay? That's the moment. That's the moment. 
You can't ignore things anymore. We can't just continue to live on and, and not settle things with friends, with family, with coworkers, with people, and just say, hey, it might be a hard conversation, but it's with love. This is a moment that we're in, and it's just for who knows how long. But I want to encourage, encourage you to seize it, to make the best of it. And that's what I would want from all of these messages. You know, I started thinking, I said, so many Christians, so many churches, what they do, what we do, what we do so often is we spend so much time, so much energy setting up for the next activity. And we just, oh, what's next? What are we going to do next? Like now, now we're, we're, in, we're in what, September, heading into October, and we're thinking about like Thanksgiving already. What's next? And then Christmas comes, like, what's going on? What are we going to do? What's, how's it going to be better and, and perfecting what we already do? Or, or just keep busy, you know, keep the church busy so that attendees could be happy, so that church members could stick around and not be bored, so that they don't leave. And a lot of times we start playing the game of entertainment rather than just come and hear the word or come in to get into the presence. And, 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 and it's a struggle that a lot of churches... Um, and a lot of leaders, a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors have. And I'm not saying that all those things are bad things because God gives us creativity and gives us the ability to do all these things, gives us ideas. But I'm going to share something with you. My concern, my concern is that we lose the purpose of what the church was made for. Have you ever thought about that? Lord, may we never lose our purpose as a church. I wonder if you've thought about that lately. What is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church, it's, there's different dynamics and there's different ways that we could look at that and there's so much scripture as the church that we could look into to, to really dive into what is the purpose. But I thought about Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, one of the many verses that we could use, but listen, look at this scripture in Matthew 5 16. It says this, it says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And look at the second part, and that they would give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I would say that this is a good statement. I would say that this is a, a purpose to live in. What is it? To show our good works so that, <clears throat> that others would see our good works, that people would see that we live out, that our deeds, right, our good deeds, and in that, God would have the glory. The Father who is in heaven would be lifted up. That's the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to glorify God here on earth. All right. That's Matthew 5.16. You should be writing notes. So what is it? It's to do good. The purpose of the church is to do good. Say do good. It is. It's to do good. Not only to do good, but it's also to glorify God. Say glorify God. My purpose is to do good and to glorify God. I need to do good and I need to glorify God with my life. You have a business, do good and they glorify God. You have a family, do good and glorify God. You're in traffic, do good and glorify God. Remember, did I ever tell you guys? No, never mind. I never told you guys a story when I was with my dog outside and the guy screaming at me in Jackson. Did I tell you? All right, I'll tell you after service. Do good and glorify God. It wasn't a good one. Do good and glorify God. My, my poor son looked at me and was like, Dad, what is he doing? I was like, I think, I think there's something wrong there, son. But do good and glorify God. That's what we're called to do. 
Have you ever sat here and thought, what am I called to do? There it is. I gave you the answer. To do good. Now, to do good is a combination of things. To do good could be many things. Ultimately, it's living out God's will and purpose in our lives. That's what do good is, ultimately. Like when the the teacher of the law, remember when he comes up to Jesus and he comes up to him and the teacher of the law says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Remember that story? Remember that scripture? Jesus looks at him. What's the greatest thing that you've ever said? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' reply to this teacher is, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all your strength. Dude was like, I got that. I'm doing good. I go to the sanctuary. I go to the temple. I go, I go to the synagogue all the time. I teach in the synagogue. I'm doing pretty good with that. I love the Lord, my God, with all of my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind. My, I'm, I think I'm doing good. And while he's thinking, he's doing good. While he's thinking, he's on track on the greatest commandment. Jesus is not done with his statement. He says, wait a minute. The second one is just as important. The second one, second one is equally important. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy's like, oh, well, I don't know how I'm doing with that. <laughs> Maybe he thought that. But you love God with all, every fabric of your being. And, and you love your neighbor. Come on, I was expecting for one of you at least to scream back and say, what if it's my enemy? You love your enemy. Can you imagine getting punched in the cheek and then you have to turn the other cheek so that they can say, you missed the other one. Slap the other cheek too. The person that slaps that one cheek says, are you crazy? Why are you doing that? Because Jesus told me to do it. Love your enemy, the one who's harmed you, the one who spoke, spoke ill of you, the one who did things to you. I need to love that person. Oh, I don't know if that's biblical. I mean, it's all over scripture. I love, I love you. Forgive me for sharing the story a lot because I just think it's so cool that Peter swings a sword to cut the head off of a Roman soldier. I think it's super cool. Like, he actually thought that was a great idea. I'm going to take his sword and I'm going to swing at his neck and the soldier ducks and he clips off a piece of his ear. And Jesus looks at Peter. Like, he looks at Peter and says, dude, what are you doing? We're not killing people. We're not chopping off heads here. You didn't get it the first time I told you, get behind me, Satan. You're operating with with the heart of the world. You're operating with the mindset of this world. You're you're operating with anger. You're operating with, with, I gotta, you know, resentment. I gotta get even. That's not the spirit of Christ. Peter, you crazy? And I think the greatest rebuke in Peter's action, the greatest rebuke, what do you think it was? And when Peter's swung at his head, but only got the ear. What do you think the greatest rebuke by Jesus was? I think it was when he grabbed the ear and he stuck it back on that guy's head. And he just looks at, can you imagine that conversation with no words between you and Jesus? You just look at Jesus, you're like, I messed this one up. Imagine how confused the Roman guard was. (laughs) He's like, what's going on here? I'm bleeding everywhere, now I'm healed. I didn't have an ear, now I have an ear. 
even love your enemies? You want me to do good? Church, what is the purpose of the church? It's to do good. It's to do good even in the face of evil. It's to do good. It's to do good. It's to always do good. And in doing good, guess what it does? Ultimately, it glorifies the Father who is in heaven. How many of you could say amen? We could look, as we mentioned in in week three, there's potential in a seed. If you remember that message, I spoke on the Great Commission. The Great Commission being the product of that seed was Jesus comes to his disciples. And if you remember, he says, therefore, go, action, make disciples, action of every nation, right? Everyone's welcome into this family. And you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you teach them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've taught you all the things that I've given you. Teach them now. So I want you to look at this. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. I mean, when you read Scripture, church, I hope we see together that our purpose is to do good and to glorify our Father in heaven. And we see that all over the text. We see that all over Scripture. And part of this work is to work the field Work the field that is ready for harvesting. There is a good work to be done, and the field is ready to be harvested. We see that, and it's clear. We said that someone, I think it was like week two or something like that, we said, well, someone may say, well, where is it? Where is the harvest? Where can I see it? And I said something like this. I said, well, maybe it's there. It's always been there. It's there for the reaping. We're just short of workers. We're short of reapers. And we grow to Matthew chapter 9, just to bring uh, your memory back. It says in Matthew 9, 37 to 38, Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest is great. He says, but the workers are few. And he says, pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. There's there's Jesus asking the, the disciples, pray. Let's do this. The field is ready. We just need people to work the fields. Hey, church, work the fields. Do, do good. Do good. Do good. I want to look at this now as we get into this today and understand that the Lord's eyes, you should write this down in your notes, the Lord's eyes are upon his garden. Can you write that? The Lord's eyes are, are on his garden. Like any great gardener, he is aware of the growth and the decay that is taking place in his garden. We're in Miami. I am sure a very few of us have grown gardens here in Miami, but there is a few that have. If you go up north or if you go more to countries, this countryside, you'll you'll see that gardening and farming is, is more part of it, but not so much in the city here. But I want you to look at our lives and us, the church. I want you to see that we are God's great garden. And the Lord's eyes are always looking upon his garden. He knows when there's growth in his garden, and he knows when things are spoiling in his garden. He knows when things are decaying. He knows all these things. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. He is aware of the fruit-bearing plants. Listen to that. 
And he's also aware of the unfruitful plants that are taking up space. No good's coming out of them, and they're taking up space. And I'm thinking that the Lord may say, you know, another good, another good plant will go great in that place. We'll look at some scripture in a little bit. But he is the great gardener. If I could tell you anything today, it's this, that your God is a great gardener. He is the gardener, and he is aware of not just if you're spoiling or if you're fruitful, not if you're, not, not if you're producing fruit. Listen to this. But he's also aware of the insects, of the pests that are a danger in his garden. He looks and he recognizes, uh-oh, there's some bugs on some of my plants that are going to destroy my plants. He's such a good gardener that he comes and he removes the bugs. He's such a great gardener that he begins to chop off some of the dead leaves. You'll see what I'm saying in a little bit. But he is a great gardener. He is the gardener who tends, who cares. He works his garden. Sometimes when I speak to people, they, the way they describe God, it's awesome. Like, they really feel like he's like this old, powerful respect. And I think it's a lot of Hollywood and like maybe Disney's fault. Like King Trident or whatever that guy's name is, like Little Mermaid's dad. I feel like when I speak to people about God, they think of an image like that in heaven who sits on his throne full of wisdom with a white beard and a scepter in his hand, and he's just sitting there on his throne. And they don't see that God is actually doing, and God is actually moving, God is actually working, that Christ is there and he's actually interceding. He's a great gardener is what I'm trying to tell you. And he takes care of us. He works his garden. He's not sitting there lazy. Our God is not a lazy God. Amen? Our God is so in tune with our lives. He is involved in our lives. Because we are the great garden of the great gardener. And as a great gardener, his desire is for us to be fruitful. Amen? That his garden would be free from danger. That his garden would not be polluted with any earthly contaminants. That's what the great gardener wants. That his garden would flourish and be made into the image and into the likeness of the architect, of the good shepherd, of the great gardener. Or, as we see in Jeremiah, as the potter. Like the potter who knows how to work the wheel and handle the clay, what does he do with his hands? He creates the image in how he envisions it. He is the great gardener. He is the potter on the wheel. He is the great shepherd that leads the sheep. He is the architect who is building the building. He is a God who is so in tune and his eyes are upon the church. Amen. So I'm called to do good. And glorify my Father. I want you to look at Scripture just so you could get an idea. I'm going to go to Numbers 24. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. We'll put it up on the screen as well. But I want to start off in the Old Testament. I want you to see one example. There's many, but I want to show you just one example of God as a gardener. In this specific text, he's a gardener towards Israel. I want you to see this. This is a moment where there was a king of Moab, 
And the king of Moab, what he did was he called Balaam to come and to curse Israel because this was a moment where Israel was at the end of their 40 years in the wilderness. They had come off of 40 years in the wilderness. And the king of Moab, Balak, said, let's go ahead and let's do away with the Jewish people, with the, with the Hebrew people, the Israelites. Let's get rid of them. And he asks Balaam to curse Israel. Why Balaam? Well, if you study in Numbers who Balaam is, Balaam is a sorcerer. Balaam is, is pretty much someone who practiced divination. He, you know, tarot cards and crystals and crystal gazing. And if you're into crystal gazing and all that, stop that ASAP. When? Yesterday. Stop it. You're opening up portals for the demonic realm to have access to your life. If you're going to open up anything, open up the word of God. The past is there. The present is there. And the future is written. All these celebrities now are, are encouraging you to get into crystals and all. astrology. When we were young, remember, some people still do it in their old age to have fun. The Ouija boards and all that stuff. Ooh, let's see what happens. What do you mean, let's see what happens? Do you not read scripture? A lot is going to happen. There is realms in this world. There's, there's powers and principalities and rulers of this age. What do you mean? Let's see what's going to happen. Don't you know that an angel of light showed himself up to Mr. Smith and he wrote a new Bible for the American continent and said, God gave me a new word. God didn't give him a new Bible. It was the enemy who disguises himself as an angel of light. Guys, we're not messing around. Get into the word of God. Everything is there. You want to know about the past? Get there. It's there. You want to know about the right now, this present moment? The word of God will speak to your present moment. And trust me, all over the scripture, it shows you about a future and a hope. Man, so, so here's Balaam. And Balak says, come, let's curse Israel. So Balaam, let's see what I got. He tries like three times, if memory serves me right, three times and he can't curse Israel. Every time he tried to tap into the spiritual realm, God interjected and said, uh uh-uh. Ain't no angel other than me. Ain't, ain't nothing other than heaven's gonna speak to you. You're not gonna curse my people. I, I don't have time to get into numbers. You could study it on your own if you want, but I will read Numbers 24. Watch the great gardener at work. Oh, you wanna curse my garden? I'll tell you what. Tell my garden this. It gets to the point where Balaam, this great sorcerer of a sense, he can't speak demonic and evil words to the point when the king of Moab comes up to us. He says, sorry, king, I could only speak the words that God has given me. Man, this is so rich. Like, I love the word of God because you know what that means? Balaam ain't a Christian. Don't twist the word of God. You know what I'm saying, right? Like when a celebrity wins an Oscar. Oh, I thank the man upstairs. That don't mean he's a Christian. That don't mean he's a Christian. Because he gave to a charity. I mean, Balaam, in a sense, was like an enemy of God. Witchcraft. He was deep into witchcraft. But you know how good God is? God will use that which is evil even to fulfill his will. You know that Jesus looked at his 12 disciples and he looked at us, one of you is the devil. Judas came in for a couple of, some, some change, 
gets placed on the cross. They thought they had won all of hell, all demonic powers. Everyone rejoiced, all evil rejoiced. But on the third day, Jesus resurrected. And I could just imagine in the spiritual realm, everything that was against God went, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Uh-oh. He resurrected. And in resurrecting, he resurrected a whole bunch of people with him. Can you imagine every fallen angel, every demonic power, when they thought for some two days or so, going into that third day that they had won, that they had conquered, and Jesus says, I'm back. What did God do? He's like, what, you thought Judas came up with a plan with the enemy, fulfilling all this plan that he was going to do away with my son? He's like, no, I'll use even evil, evil to fulfill my plan on this earth. Can I pause? Forgive me. I don't know why I'm going on a rant. Maybe, maybe it's, um, I hope it's the spirit and not my flesh. But I know that this is a family, that it's my flesh. You guys will love me and still forgive me and have grace for me. But here we go. You know, like, when COVID came, and you know, like, right now, I'm a, like, I love all the conspiracy theories. I love them all. I love them all. They're so entertaining. I love every single one of them. They're amazingly entertaining. Some of them could be so far from the truth. Some of them could be so true. Who cares? I'm not here to spit conspiracy theories, or I'm not here to speak about the president and his cabinet and the so-called cabinet that we don't even see that really runs our government. And, you know, we could get so worked up about all these things, about government, about gas prices. We could get so worked up about the next, um, um, the next uh, uh, variant of COVID that's going to come upon the earth. We could get so worked up about everything. We could get so worked up about the rising Antichrist that is going to come. We could get so worked up about the 666 and the mark of the beast. And we could get so worked up about the third temple. And when will it be built? And we could get so worked up. But I'm here to tell you that chill God is the gardener who watches over his garden. He is in control, and even evil does his will and his plan. Evil does his will and his plan. So when you look at scripture like that, like, oh, I don't got to worry. You just be the garden. Come on, church. You just be the garden that does good and glorifies God. Do good. Glorify God and let the gardener have his way. Even evil will work on his behalf. Who are you going to vote for in 2024? Trump! This is a church for Trump, baby. God is in control. It's not a man. He's not a savior. They're not saviors. Trump and Biden or the next one to come is not the gardener. Our God is the great gardener. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? I mean, go vote. Go have it. But do good. Glorify the Father. His eyes are on the garden. So what do I want? Hold each other accountable. Don't get worked up in the things that God is already in control of. All right, let's get into the word now. Lord, I hope that was the spirit. Numbers 24, by now Balaam realized that the Lord was determined to bless Israel, and he did not resort to divination as before. He couldn't do it. 
uh-oh, God doesn't let me speak my divination and my witchcraft. Instead, Balaam turned and looked out towards the wilderness. Guys, this is such a beautiful passage. Where he saw the people of Israel camped tribe by tribe. This is the, t- the moment. Cursed them, cursed them, cursed them, right? Then the Spirit of God came upon the enemy. I didn't say that, but I said it. The Spirit of God came upon the witchcraft against the sorcerer, the one who practices divination. And the message is that he delivered was such. This is beautiful. This is the message of Balaam, the son of Ber. The message of the man whose eyes see clearly. The message of one who hears the words of God. Anyone sees this thinks Balaam is a prophet. Look what he says. Who bows down with eyes wide open. How He's supposed to curse the house of Jacob. And God takes over his mouth. And what does he say? How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob. How lovely are your homes, O Israel. They spread before me like palm trees. You see the gardener speaking? Like gardens by the riverside. Here's the gardener speaking about his garden. They're like tall trees planted by the Lord. Like cedars beside the waters. And water will flow from buckets, from their buckets. And their offspring have all they need. And their king will be greater than Agag. The gardener has spoke about his garden. And he says, no, no, Balaam, I have a word for the king. And I have a word for them. God uses evil Balaam. To speak his word to King Balak. And he uses this man to fulfill his plan. After three times trying to curse Israel, Balaam has to tell the king, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I know you hired me to do this. If you don't want to pay me, don't pay me. Don't write the check. But I could only speak what God wants me to speak. And the Lord says, Go, Balaam, stand on the cliff and look at Israel and speak well of my garden because I'm the great gardener. And what comes out of his mouth is blessing towards them and not cursing. Even when the enemy wants to destroy the garden, the gardener steps in the middle and says, not today. If you're going to speak, watch how I'm going to use your evil plans and turn it around to do good for the glory of my Father. And he shuts the mouth of the enemy to actually speak blessings unto his people. He is the greatest gardener whose eyes are always on his garden. How many of you can rejoice today, can smile today in your heart, To know that your great gardener, that his eyes are always on you. I went to Dick's Sporting Goods with my son. Forgive me, guys. Have grace for me. I scare my son a lot, and I do it because it's just fun to record. (laughs) And I went to Dick's Sporting Goods, and my son wants to do what he wanted to do. And I said, Jackson, you need to stay close to me. No, no, Dad, I want to go see this. And I said, stay close to me. I'm not going to follow you. And he kept on. I guess he thought, like, he's not really going to. So my son, sorry, Dad, that I did this to your grandson. 
So he goes that way, and I said, ah, okay. And I went the other way. So right when he wasn't looking, I made a right. And I got in a place where I see him perfectly. I mean, I see him through a, through a nice hole where I can see his whole body, but he can't see me. So he's over here on this side of Dick's Sporting Goods, and I'm looking at him across, and he's doing this. And now he starts to panic. And he starts to walk around like this, and he's trying not to cry, and he's pacing, and he's pacing, and he's pacing. And all I did, all I did, all I, listen, I saw the whole thing. Now one time, my son thought he was lost, but his father's eyes always had him found. He was pacing, and he was pacing, and I'm looking at him through the crack, and I'm like, he thinks he's lost. And he's worked up, and I could see he's turning like a different color. And all I did, because I was always there, the gardener was always there. All I had to do was, my eyes were always on him. This is true. I could bring him out of the kitchen and tell you the whole story. My eyes were always on the garden. But in that moment, all he needed from his gardener was just assurance. So you know what the gardener did? I was always watching him. Not one time did he get lost. Now, I shared a story to some of you that I did lose him one time in a ship. But let's not talk about that. Okay? You got like, uh-huh. I saw, I saw, in your, I saw the top bubbles. Like, tell, tell them the story you told us yesterday. All right. So while I'm here... He was never lost. All I did was I took one, st- one step. And he came and he sees me. <laughs> his color, his blood just came back. And he goes, you were there the whole time? I'm like, yeah. The whole time. Where were you? Do you think the gardener gets lost? Oh, no, I don't know where I put my garden. That's nonsense. The gardener is always watching. The gardener is always there. Even when you feel lost, even when you're panicking, come on, church, even when you're crying, the gardener says, but I see you. And though you maybe haven't felt me around lately, I've never moved. I'm always present, and my eyes are always upon you. He's the great gardener, church. What do you do? You do good. You know what my son needs to do now? Do good. You don't want that to happen to you again, son? Do good. And glorify your father. Am I right or wrong? If you don't want that to ever happen again, do good. And glorify your father. The only reason why he felt like he got lost is because he made the decision to not do good. But the moment that he makes the decision to do good, 
He glorifies the Father, and he's united with the Father. But the moment that he makes the decision not to do good, he walks away from the Father and feels separated from him. The Father never moved. The Father never took his eyes off. The great gardener doesn't, like, he doesn't look at you and say, well, guess what? Today, I'm not going to be great. Whatever you do or do not do can't make him great or ungreat. Our Father, our gardener, always remains great. Whether you're bad or whether you're good, he's always great. Whether you're left or you're right, he's always great. Whether you're an elephant or you're a donkey, he's always great. What I'm telling you is, our great gardener's always great and his eyes are always looking at you. We're the ones that make the decision and move. And then we say, God, you've been there the whole time. And he's like, yeah, you should have never moved. So what's my purpose then, God? Do good and glorify me. See how your children can preach to you? All right. I'm going to wrap this up real quick. John 15, he says this. Here's God's gardener towards us now. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the... Wow, he's the gardener. He's a potter. Up, uh, yeah, he's a, he's, he's, he's a builder. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes. You know what the word prunes means? He cleanses. Some of you got pruned by the Lord and you thought he was trying to kill you. No, he ain't. The Lord pruning you is him trying to grow you, not kill you. Why would God do this to me? He's like, no. It's his pruning. He's doing good. It means to cleanse of filth and cleanse of impurity. You know what the gardener needs to do? Uh-oh, there's a leaf that's been spoiled. Can you imagine being a tree, being a plant with branches and leaves on your branches? Imagine you being that, and someone just comes and plucks a leaf right off of you. You see Adrian's beautiful beard? Adrian, stand up and show everyone your beautiful beard, huh? Come on, Adrian. Do good. All right. Look at Adrian's beautiful beard. Can you imagine just going up to that beautiful beard and ripping it off his face? He has no chain, number one. You may sit down. Thank you for showcasing your beard. Guys, imagine a leaf being cut off. Imagine a, a piece of... And they go, why would you do that to me? Why would you take away? Why would you cut off? Why would you discipline in such a way? Why? And he's like, shh, I'm cleansing you from filth. I'm not trying to kill you. I'm trying to build you. I'm the great gardener, and I need to make sure that my garden is good. And if you want to do good, then you need to allow me to prune you. He says this. He prunes the branches that... He says, every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, he prunes. And the branches that do bear fruit, they produce even more. His eyes are on you, church. Verse 3. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Hey, has the word of God... Has the word of God... Has it ever just pruned you? <laughs> Has it ever cut you and cleansed you? Purified you? 
cut away all filthiness from your life. He says, you've already been pruned and purified by the message I give you. I, I, love, I love this quote by Trapp. He says this, and if it be painful to bleed, oh, here it is, 930 huddle. I did write it down. It is worse to wither. Better be pruned to grow than cut to burn. Oh, God, I'm bleeding. And he's like, good, good, good's going to come out of that. At least you're not withered because witheredness gets thrown into the fire. But blood, it stays in my garden. It's better you bleed and get pruned than wither and thrown into fire. Let's keep reading. He says, remain in me. Everyone say, remain. And I will remain in you. What, is, what does that mean? Remain in me and I remain in you. What does that look like to you? Doesn't that sound like intimacy? Intimacy. God's like, I will be with you and you will be with me. Remain. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you what? Remain in me. Remain in me. Yes, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Those who? You'll catch it eventually. Remain in me. Those who remain in me. And I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not? Remain in me. Is thrown away like useless branch and withers. Such branches are thrown and gathered into a pile to be burned. They're useless. Verse 7. But if you... Remain in me. I lost count. And my words remain in you. You may ask for what you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings glory to my Father. Do good and glorify the Father. What do we see here in producing fruit? Have you read it? Did you read it with me? I read first it's an abundance. It says, and you will produce much fruit. That means that the Lord doesn't want to just fill you. The Lord wants to overflow you. The Lord is in the work of abundance, not in the work of like, oh, cool, you're filled to the top. Now, I'm not saying that you should sell your house and move into a mansion and God will provide for you the money because he wants you to live in abundance. That's not what I mean by abundance. I feel abundance is greater life within. I was driving down um, Miller yesterday, and there was this massive house on Miller. And my daughter and my son say, I want to live in that house. That house is nice. That's the house I want, Dad. And I said, that house is like $7 million. So what did I do? I said, I have to make this a teachable moment. So I said, Jackson will get it. I said, Jax, Nancy's in the front, they're in the back. I said, do you know that people live in houses just like that and bigger than that, what we would call mansions, and inside they're miserable? Inside the home, there's war, there's sadness, and there's miserable, there's no life inside that house. So sometimes homes are not about how big they are. If the inside 
if the inside is no good. And he's like, what do you mean? Of course. Why would they be like that inside such an awesome house? And I said, because they're miserable. Because they don't have the Lord, maybe. Because there's no joy. And they can live in the greatest of homes. But deep down inside, there is truly no home. And you can live in the smallest of shacks. In the smallest of houses. The smallest of homes. And you can be so alive inside. That you rather live in that house with the people that you love. Than in a greater house. And lose the love that you have. Son, the house is not always about what it looks like on the outside. I think this abundance, it's not about what it looks like in the outside. It's about what's overflowing in abundance in the inside. It's life. It's bubbling springs that flow from everlasting to everlasting. What do I see in producing fruit? It's an abundance. And it only happens if you remain in me. How many of you want some fruit? You're like, thank God, I don't like fruits. You know what I mean. Harvest, abundance. How many of you want some fruit in your life? You don't have to act like I'm being prideful by saying I want fruit. That's not a prideful statement. I'm okay, like, I'm good. Like, it's okay if God doesn't want me to bear fruit. No, no, that's not good. Because he says those then that do not produce fruit and they wither are thrown into a pile and they're thrown into the fire. So it's okay. Say you want to bear fruit. If you want to bear fruit, you need to remain in him. You need to abide in him. You know why? Because he's life. So if you abide in life, life flows through you. And life flows from you. And life begins to come out of you. So it happens to those who remain and abide in him. Also, what I've learned is that when you produce much fruit, it is evidence that we are his true disciples, Scripture says. So I want you to write this down in your notes as we come to an end here. Here it is. The harvest, all of this to get to this one point, all of this gardener to get to this one point. The harvest is found in proximity. How many of you want an amazing life? You want an, an amazing life. You want an amazing life. You want an amazing, do you want an amazing church? Here's the, here's the glue. Here's the answer. Here's the cheat sheet. It's found in proximity. It's found in abiding. You want to be great? Just abide in him. He's the great gardener. Just remain in him. Here's some thoughts that I had that I wrote down. I'll, I'll just read them to you. Like if I'm not going to preach them to you. I'll just read them. We must be rooted in him if we will bear fruit for God. Our first identification is in Jesus Christ himself. Notice in all these passages I read, it's not in Israel. It's not in the church. None of that. Our identification is found in Christ. We are in complete dependence, complete dependence, and in need for constant connection in Jesus. 
What are you, what are you in complete dependence and in complete need of? Stay connected to Jesus. Remember the story? You want to live your life like this? I don't know what's going on with my children. I don't know what's going on with my job. I don't know what's going on with my finances. I don't know what's going on with my heart. I don't know what's going on with my life. And you're walking around like my son at Dick's Sporting Goods. And the Lord's like, get connected. Get connected. Get connected. Abide in me and you'll know what's going on. The branch depends on the vine even more than the sheep depends on the shepherd or the child depends on the father. Fruit bearing is inevitable with abiding. The quality and the quantity of the fruit may differ. But listen, the presence of fruit will be inevitable. It will happen. For there to be presence of fruit, there needs to be abiding in him. You want presence of fruit? Yes, yes, I really do. Good. Abide in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. Harvest is in proximity. It isn't that the disciples could, could do no activity without Jesus. They, man, people, you, me, us, we could be active. And active outside of Jesus, without Jesus. Just like my son was. Just like Balaam was. Enemies of God, we see it in scripture that they could be active. Active enemies of Jesus. There's so many examples of this. Yet, they and we, all of us, could do nothing of real, eternal value without Jesus. And we're just running around. What are we doing? Not doing much if it's not Jesus. Has no eternal value if it's not Jesus. He says, when you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. The harvest is here, church. The harvest has always been here. He might just be looking at you. Son, daughter, the harvest is here. The great gardener is looking. And maybe all he wants you to know is it's found in the place of presence. Come on, garden. I'm the good gardener. I'm the great gardener. Abide in me. The lack of harvest is a consequence from the lack of presence. You want harvest? Then you need presence. He is the great gardener who wants to give in abundance. But his abundance, but his harvest is evident in the remaining and in the abiding in him. Again, remain in me, verse 4, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, I in them will produce, produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Thank you, Lord, for being a great gardener. Let me be connected. The garden, always be connected to the gardener. All right, I'm done. Put 1 Corinthians up on the screen, James. Thank you so much, James, for doing such a good job. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth, and he writes these words. He says, I planted the seed in your hearts. I planted the word of God. There was a man that came after me by the name of Apollos, 
Apollos watered the seed that I had already planted, so he came and did God's work as well. But look what he says next. It was God who made it grow. Go, go back to that verse again. Did Paul do good? Church, did Paul do good? Did Apollos do good? None of them that did good was it their responsibility to bring the growth. Just do good. And who's the one that brings the growth? God brings the growth. Just do good. And he will glorify himself. And your doing good, planting seeds and watering, will produce fruit and glorify the Father. Look at the next verse. It's not important who does the planting. It's not important who does the watering. How does that strike your heart? Oh, well, I thought I was important. And Paul's like, thank you for doing what you need to do, what you should do. Thank you for being a Christian. It's not important who does planting and who does watering. But what's important is this. Puts the focus back on the Father. It's that God makes the seed grow. The gardener does it. The gardener does it. The gardener does it. The gardener. Lord, I thank you for such an awesome day. A day in which we remember that you are good. A day in which you are the great gardener. You're the great architect that is building this house. The house that should be built on the rock. You are the potter who shapes me in the potter's wheel. You prune the branches that do not produce fruit, and you pound the clay that is not made into your likeness so you could make it and shape it again. Thank you, Lord, for being the great gardener. I pray for everyone in this room today. I hope that everyone in here sees that they are part of a beautiful garden. A beautiful garden in which your eyes are always upon. You know every detail in your garden. You work your garden. I just pray strength for every brother, every sister here, that they would be faithful, that they would stand strong, that they would be rooted deep, that they would be attached, that they would remain in, abide in you. And that, Lord, that you would use them to produce much fruit. Because the harvest is here. The harvest is there. They're going to plant. They're going to water. They're going to plant and they're going to water. And the harvest is here. Our great gardener, you're going to bring the growth. I pray that we would just be faithful to doing good, to do good, and to glorify you with our lives.
Church, continue to plant. Church, continue to water. Church, continue to do good. Because what really matters is that God, he will bring the growth. Don't ever forget these words. The great gardener, his eyes are always on his garden. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen.